Open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 3. So this past December, uh, Alan received a letter from a lady she didn't know. And enclosed in the letter was this antique photo, you know, kind of the black and white, or really the brown and white kind that's real thick. And it was a photo of a lady. On the back of the photo was written, Mary Sharp McCamus. And so the lady that sent the photo to Alan, she wrote, um, included in the, the letter, a little family tree of Mary Sharp McCamus to Alan's grandfather and then to Alan's mother with estimated dates. And then she wrote this note. She said, as a hobby, as a hobby, I find old photos and try to return them to direct family. I think this might be your great-grandmother. If I am correct, if I am not correct, please return. If I am, enjoy. And so Alan knows her extended family or family tree very well. So she immediately knew who the lady was in the picture. But we're sitting there though, the fact that a lady has such a hobby underlines how we like to know where we come from, who our people are, what they're like, what their stories are, even about people we don't know, even helping people find that out about themselves. So what does that say about us? Well, the sociologist Brene Brown says about human beings, connection is why we're here. Connection is why we're here. And this squares wonderfully with Scripture, doesn't it? Scripture shows that God has made us relational beings, even as He Himself in His triune relations is a relational being. It's fundamental to who we are. There's no really other way to understand human beings. No other explanation does justice to who we are. In one way, that desire for connection works itself out is our interest even in our family trees. We want to know who we belong to, our identity. We want to understand their influence on us, our genes, our family systems, our personality traits. That's to say its impact on us. So it gives us an identity and an impact. And my mother loves the little town of Rodney, Mississippi. Anybody know where Rodney is? And it's outside of uh, Port Gibson. Um, she's visited it several times. I went with her once or twice today. Today it's just a deer camp. So if you want a deer hunt, you might check out Rodney. And there's just two antebellum churches there and then a deer camp. And the Presbyterian church has a still has a, a Union artillery shell lodged in the wall. So why does my mother have such an interest in Rodney? I mean, you go down and the road ends, and you keep going down, down, down. It was an oxbow from the Mississippi River that moved. Well, in, in, in 1874, some of her people migrated from there. They lived there to Greenville, Mississippi, where she grew up. Her immediate family growing up had a really hard time. There was some alcoholism, some emotional difficulties, strained relationships. Her parents didn't have a real relationship with God till much later, and through the witness of my mother, late in life. 
But growing up, my mother had an aunt whom she often visited. And when she'd visit my aunt, my aunt, her aunt, would ask her to read the Bible to her. It made a huge impression on her. And that same aunt wrote a story about this 1874 migration, them blazing the trails and virgin forests, driving their animals, clearing a place, building a house, getting flooded. But then she said in her little story, on Sundays without fail, my mother called us all in for scripture reading and prayer. And this was her custom on Sabbath day. And so my mother, with her upbringing, she liked so much identifying with and seeing the impact of this godly covenant line upon her. So she loves Rodney. And so we can multiply stories like this in all of your families, and we see today that Luke thinks family trees are important too. In an ultimate sense, they're important. He inserts one right here, what we're gonna look at, and, and you remember that Matthew has one too. We're gonna compare them. But as we approach it, Luke wants us to see the identity and impact Jesus's family tree had on him Identity impact it had on him, and for us in him, the identity and impact Jesus's family tree has on us, because it affects us. So let's read Luke 3, 23 and following. I went on YouTube and heard an English guy read all these names, so I hope I can imitate him. You know that's going to be the correct pronunciation, so let's try. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Hanai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsie, the son of Hachai, Nachai, the son of Matt, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Hoanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadan, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashan, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxed, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. That's a family tree. 
So we have two points today. The first is just the problem of Jesus's family tree. And the second is the purpose of Jesus's family tree. The problem, the purpose. So turn to Matthew 1 and uh, just keep a finger there for just a bit. We're not going to do much with this, but I just want to do a little bit. First, I, I want you to notice that in the, in the Luke inversion, um, there's a lot of differences here between Matthew and Luke. In the Luke inversion, you notice, um, well, let's go back. Look at Matthew. Uh, Matthew starts with Abraham, and then we do from Abraham, what happens is uh, he progresses in the ordinary way of a family tree, descending father to son down to Jesus. Father, actually literally it's begot, begot, begot. It's father of the next one, descending father to son. That's the ordinary way we do things. Whereas if you go back to Luke, Luke goes in reverse order. He starts with Jesus. And he ascends son to father all the way up the family tree to Adam, the son of God. And it's unusual and a bit confusing. It's not really a problem, but you got to pay attention to that. And we're gonna get to this in just a minute. He's making an amazing theological point by going this way all up to Adam. Well, in addition, Matthew, if you noticed, uh, skips... Uh, more generations than Luke does. So neither one of them have all the generations in ancient genealogies. You can skip generations to make your point. So Matthew, if you break it down, you notice those three paragraphs. It's three groups of 14 names. And verse 17 says, each one says there's 14. Now, however, if you actually count them up, the last paragraph is 13 names, and there's a reason for that, but I'm gonna spare us a lot of time. So Luke, on the other hand, has more names. It's 11 groups of seven. And if you count son of God, which is a description of Adam, then you've got 78 names. So there's a difference there, why? Furthermore, not only does Luke include more generations, but he also includes more people we know. No, excuse me. He also includes more people we don't know. Okay, Luke has less people we know than Matthew. If you look at Matthew, it's like a who's who of important people in Israel, especially as it relates to the Davidic kings. So you got the patriarchs, the reigning Davidic kings, as well as these well-known women, which is unusual, and these scandals around them. Usually not because of them, but because of the, the leaders around them. And it highlights the grace of the gospel beautifully. Now Luke, on the other hand, traces Jesus's tree up through a different, even an unknown line of ancestors, especially around David. So if you look at Matthew, it records David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and all those kings you read about in the Old Testament. You know those kings. However, in Luke, if you get to David and you gotta go backwards to get to his sons, you go to Nathan, then Matatha, and Menna, and you're going, who are these guys? Like we don't read about those in the Old Testament. Even that emphasizes something really rich about the gospel. In Luke's version of Jesus's family tree, it's intertwined with nobodies, unknowns, unimportant people, overlooked. It just shows us that they become important in the way God views things. God feels like they're insignificant, even though in their day they would not have been, they weren't the ones. But this also raises a critical question for us. How do you reconcile the genealogies and are there contradictions? Are there errors? 
So you can say, well, did Jesus actually proceed from Solomon or from Nathan, you know? Or even more glaringly, if you look at Matthew again, Matthew has Jesus's father being Jacob, uh, excuse me, Joseph's father being Jacob. Whereas Luke has Joseph's father being Heli. So which one is it? Is it Jacob or Heli? It's a, it's a difficulty. It's one of the hardest knots to crack or untie in the New Testament. And so many have used statements like this or these two genealogies to say, well, the Bible has errors in it. I mean, come on. And so I just think, young people heading off to college, you are often encounter professors who just want to undermine the authority of God's Word, and they'll highlight examples like this to say, you know, it's, it's just been tampered with so much. I mean, how can you build your life on a book like this? And I remember that as a freshman in a class, being just bewildered when a professor did that to me. Well, in the genealogies and reconciling them, and this is very quick, but people have been writing on this for 2,000 years. And there's a host of very good theories and hypotheses. There are reasons for things. And so I'm just going to give you two. One theory says that Matthew presents Joseph's physical line, his actual father, whereas Luke's presents Joseph's legal line. So that hypothesis says Mary may have been an only child. And there are provisions for that in the Old Testament law. So she's an only child, but she's a lady. So according to custom, her father, her father, her father, Heli, would have adopted Joseph in order to continue their family name. And so it's Joseph's line, but as adopted legally through Mary's family, up Mary's line. And this is entirely possible. We can't prove it, but it's entirely possible. Another theory is, that Matthew presents Joseph's legal line. So it's, it, it, it's reversed. So Matthew presents Joseph's legal line. And so what he does is he lists the actual kings of Israel and those who would have been king had the line continued. Luke, on the other hand, lists Joseph's physical line, the line that finally issued in Joseph physically. And this too is entirely possible in the ancient world. Father of and son of in ancient genealogies were really flexible. It could be grandfather, great-grandfather. It could be physical father or legal adopted, adoptive father. So they can serve in a legal or physical way and especially in a kingly line like this one where if a direct descendant is lost or in the case of Judah, when under the judgment of God, the line ended you have to incorporate the next in line for kingly succession. You know, that's how it goes. It goes down the line. So again, this is possible and legitimate, though we can't necessarily prove it. But the fact that we can't prove it doesn't mean that's not the case here in one of the genealogies. And so such hypothesis should really convince us not to feel threatened by the world's skepticism. We just don't have all the knowledge but to hold fast to God's word, even in difficult passages. Now, none of your neighbors are saying, I don't believe in Jesus because, you know, is Jacob's dad Heli or Jacob? Or, you know. But your neighbors do have questions. They're pinpoint issues in our culture. 
where due to media and just the culture at large, aspects of scripture is seen as out of date, intolerant. We can think of the exclusivity of Christ. We can think of issues of life, of sexual ethics, that our culture thinks that's ridiculous. How can, you, how can you trust this word? And so for us, we're saying, well, we want to have a strong conviction that God's word is best. It's right. It's true. Well, that's the problem. Next is the purpose of Jesus's family tree. And this is the real point. This is the real issue. It's why Luke includes it and why he includes it here. What's he wanting to get at? And it's beautiful. So first, as you enter Luke's uh, genealogy, just notice that in the original, there's this huge emphasis on Jesus's name. It says Jesus here. That's their way of saying it. But really you could say he, namely Jesus. It's an awkward construction. He, namely Jesus. This one, this Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus. The Jesus that just got baptized didn't spring out of nowhere. He has a people. And I want to talk about him. He's a real dude. He's a real guy. He's a real guy. He's not some demigod. He's not, that, not that some Clint Eastwood character that nobody knows where he came from. He's a real guy. For another, just appreciate that it's from Luke's genealogy alone that we learn that Jesus began his public ministry at about 30 years old. This is where we find it. And in the Old Testament, being 30 years old was just the right time to enter your public service. And so priests would begin at 30 years old. Even more particularly, uh, Joseph entered Pharaoh's service at 30. God called Ezekiel as a prophet at 30. More importantly than all of them, David was crowned king at 30 years old. That's important. So Luke shows Jesus as beginning at the right age, as significant Old Testament leaders. And really what he's saying is, this Jesus I want to talk about takes all those people and all their roles and he fulfills them. Well, then notice how Luke says Jesus was the son as was supposed of Joseph. Awesome statement. And there's a wonderful touch that Luke has. And I mean, Jesus is not... Joseph's physical son. And if anybody stressed this, it's Luke. Luke's put great emphasis on this. He's already told us in the birth narratives, God, the Holy Spirit, directly created Jesus from Mary. He, he joined the eternal, omnipotent, all-glorious son of God to a real human nature within the womb of Mary. Therefore, Jesus is only the son of Joseph, as was supposed. His father, by nature, is none other than the living and true God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And just think of the humility of Jesus, because nobody knew this until he resurrected from the dead all his life having left his glory behind, knowing who his real father was, but growing up as was supposed for us and our salvation, the son of Joseph, the carpenter of Nazareth. And even though he isn't Joseph's natural son here, he is his legal son, his adoptive son, which according to Jewish law makes Jesus Joseph's heir and gives him the status of David's line, which is what he needed. 
But the real unique, riveting uh, aspect of Luke's version of Jesus' family tree is how it builds up, escalates, culminates, climbs to this crescendo that this Jesus I want to talk about is the son of Adam, who's the son of God. See, Matthew writes his gospel for Jews, so he stresses Abraham and David. Luke writes his for Gentiles, so he stresses Jesus as a member of the whole human race. Of course, to be Messiah, he has to be connected to Abraham and David, so Luke shows that, but he continues it past Abraham all the way up to Adam to say that Jesus is a part of the whole human family, therefore, he's the redeemer of all man. He's it. Recall how Luke has Paul say something similar in Acts 17 when he preaches to the Areopagus and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. From one man, Adam. Jesus makes himself part of Adam to be connected to all humanity. So take note also that Luke says that everyone proceeding from Adam, which is all human beings, also proceed from God. Son of Adam, son of God. Human beings don't have this random origin from some particle of matter that somehow sprung into existence. Human beings don't have an animal evolutionary origin. Humans are created by God in his image. God created Adam directly, but God creates all mankind descending from Adam indirectly. It's not just a husband and wife, it's God. So recall how Luke has Paul also preaching to the Areopagus in Acts 17. In him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets say, for we are indeed his offspring. There's a sense in which all humans are the offspring of God, but due to the fall, they need the grace of adoption. We do. So furthermore, along with Adam being God's son in a unique, direct way, in the way God created him directly, Adam was also charged by God to be son in terms of a role, a role, a responsibility given to Adam, and that's a sonship role. He's God's son, meaning he's God's king, he's God's representative head of the human race. So Adam was charged to bring blessing to the rest of humanity that came from him into the whole world. But Adam royally failed in his sonship role. Adam wanted more. He he wanted to be like God. It wasn't enough what God gave him. He wanted to call his own shots. He ate the forbidden fruit, cast humanity and the rest of creation into curse. Adam's story is one of failed sonship. And because of that, the story of our family tree by nature, all humanity by nature is one of sin and misery and loss. That's our identity in Adam. And that's the impact of Adam on us. Romans 5, for just a sin into the world through one man. So death came to all men because all sinned. That's us. That's our family tree, identity and impact. But when Luke presses on us, he just lifts our hearts up right here. 
He says, this Jesus, supposedly Joseph's son, but really God's natural direct son. So outside that ordinary generation from Adam, outside that line, because as Luke's birth narratives say, he's virgin conceived, directly fashioned by God. And so he can be a new Adam, a new Adam. He can begin a new line, a line of faithful sonship and therefore of obedience and flourishing and life. All around the context is son of God. This is the sonship that's true and succeeding and faithful. At Jesus' baptism, the Father opens up heaven and speaks directly, saying, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And then we have the genealogy. At the outset of Jesus' ministry, before he's even succeeded, the Father says, I want you to know, my son, my new Adam, I love you so much, and I always have, And I'm so pleased and proud of you that you're taking this on yourself to just undo the old Adam and his family tree and make a new one. Then immediately after the genealogy, if you go to Luke 4, immediately after this genealogy, it's beautiful, Jesus' sonship, just like Adam's was in the garden, is put to the test by the devil. And so the question is, is what's going to happen? Are we going to have a repeat? Are we going to get our hopes up and have them dashed to pieces again? Everything hangs in the balance. Angels are holding their breath. What's going to happen? Is all the plan going to get derailed before it gets off the ground? And no, whereas Adam fails, Jesus succeeds. Every temptation, the whole kitchen sink gets thrown at them. And you can't imagine how forceful those temptations were. Perfectly crafted to undo the faithful sonship and new Adam role of Jesus. Culminating with, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And Jesus looks at him and responds and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's a test of sonship. Will you be the obedient son or not? Will you be the Messiah in your way or God's way? Will you go the easy route and avoid suffering or the necessary route and take the punishment of your people on your own shoulders? Will you count the cost? The devil said, don't do it. And Jesus said, I'm gonna do it because I'm gonna undo that family tree. Jesus resists them all. He's the faithful son so that he can be the new Adam, so that he can represent you before God, so that he can provide you with a righteousness you don't have, so that he can pay the sin debt that you can never pay, so that you can leave Adam's old line, again, of sin, misery, and death, and you can enter and get engrafted into a whole new family tree, a new Adam line. Again, one of obedience and joy and life. Whereas the old Adam looked at this tree and took a fruit and plunged the world into curse, the new Adam's gonna be led to a tree is be hung up on that tree and crucified on that tree and the Father's wrath poured out on him on that tree. So what's a curse for him becomes abundant blessing for you. He undoes it at the root. 
such that when Luther says, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing, we're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And dust asks who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. He's the new man, the new Adam right here. And so what he offers to all of us today is this gift of, of a whole new family to be engrafted into that line which culminates in Adam, the son of God. It's just by faith, it's by receiving this gift, believing this good news, repenting of sin, which is really turning from the old Adam to turn to the new Adam. It's finding your new identity in this family tree and having the impact of this family tree on you. More and more, does this characterize you today? Just appreciate who you are in Jesus, who you belong to, who your people are. This is your family tree if you're in Christ. So then embrace your new identity. Let the impact of the new Adam have its way with you. See, the old Adam keeps coming at us. It keeps trying to pull us back in like an abusive relationship, pulling you back into that broken system. He's tugging at you saying, no, you're really enslaved to sin. You can't. You're resigned to misery. You can't change. You're marked by death. And we have these compulsions to be God all the time, to be first everywhere. Have people serve us. We're often tempted to do what Adam did after he sinned. He hides and then he deflects, just blames everybody. I mean, we have all these compulsions in us. The old Adam is strong still. But the gospel is, that's not who you are. As strong as much as that fills your mind, that's not who you are. That's not your family. You belong to a new Adam line, a new family tree. And what's truth is, you're not a slave to sin. You are being renewed in Christ's likeness. And you are marked by life and hope in everything you do. And see, this deep knowledge is meant to radically change us. It's, you're in Christ, the eternal son of God, and therefore in Christ, you are an adopted son or daughter of God who has become for you in the gospel, your heavenly father who declares over you, you are my son or daughter and I am well pleased with you. Yesterday at the service, Mark shared his favorite illustration from his father. It's a great illustration. And so when Bernie, we know he preached all over the place and when he'd go somewhere, as you and I, parents, we do, he would say, now children, you are Kuipers. When you go to this church, you behave and treat people like a Kuiper. You're representing our family in this church. I remember saying similar things. <laughs> You're representing our family here. But at some point, he got convicted about that and very emotionally, he gathered the family around him and he said, children, all these years I've said, you are Kuipers and act accordingly. You bear our name and represent us. But let me tell you, the Kuiper name is nothing. Don't you know that you bear the name of Jesus with all the privileges of the Son of God? 
And therefore, all the wonderful responsibilities of bearing his name in the world. Don't you know you bear the name of Jesus? And this genealogy is looking at you today. See, whatever little family tree you have, you stick it on this one and you go all the way up to Adam, the son of God, but really the new Adam, who's the beloved son of God, who's opened up a relationship with God on your behalf. And with that, awaken your sense of all the spiritual blessings you're given in the gospel more and more. May it just get deeper and deeper. And then may the interests of Jesus become your interests more and more. And here, it's that wonderful care that Jesus had for the whole human race to sacrifice and serve for the good of the lost. And may that mark us as children, brothers and sisters of the new Adam, our risen King. And may it be the case. Amen. Let's stand.